Hello, friend and colleague. It's Nikki from Full Voice Music. On our show this week, episode 183, my special guest is Liz Jackson Hearns. Liz is the co-founder and the owner of The Voice Lab in Chicago. Liz and her team have been transforming the way we approach voice education and their dedication to building inclusive learning spaces, not only for students, but for their staff is inspirational. So many teacher takeaways and some beautiful moments right here on the Full Voice Podcast. Hello, welcome, and thank you. Thank you for pressing play. I'm so, so glad you are here. This is a powerful conversation and It's going to make you feel the feelings. Oh, so many great teacher takeaways on this show. Uh, Before I bring Liz on the show, I just want to quickly mention that uh, we're going to be wrapping up season seven in a couple of weeks. And uh, I was talking with the Full Voice team and we were looking ahead. And of course, we're always planning ahead. There's a lot of work that goes behind the scenes to put these podcast shows together. And I've already got an incredible lineup for season eight. So many great conversations, and uh, I cannot wait. But um, I wanted to just say a few things. Uh, It has been an absolute honor to talk to the incredible people that have given their time and their talent to be guests on my podcast. In my own business, in my teaching studio, and in my business, I have leveled up time and time and time again. I've been challenged. I have been reminded. I have been inspired by my guests to just be a better teacher, be a better business person, you know, uh, think a, a little bit more broadly to be more inclusive. And those are things that we'll always have to work on. There's, there's no end game here, but I can't thank my guests enough, and I am so excited uh, to continue the conversations with with more people next year, and uh, I hope that you will uh, enjoy, uh, go back and listen to some of the, the past episodes. So they're there, and there's just some amazing episodes. Sometimes I randomly just go through the list, and I'll, I'll kind of uh, like go on Spotify, and I'll just kind of scroll down, scroll down, scroll down, and then I'll, I'll hit play, and I'll revisit a conversation. And I'm always like, oh, yes, that was such a great conversation. So 183 episodes, and uh, and I, I am... I'm a better person for all of the conversations. So I'm glad you're here. And I am so excited uh, to introduce and to welcome Liz Jackson Hearns from The Voice Lab. Welcome back to the podcast, Mm -hmm. my friend and colleague, Liz Jackson Hearns. How are you? I'm hanging in there. I'm hanging in there. My toddler just started daycare a few oh. weeks ago, so we're getting sick over and over again. Oh dear, so we're hanging I, in there. <laughs> I know that. I know that pain. I have a fun fact for you. So it was exactly three years ago that we spoke. 
Like today? Well, May 25th, 2020. Oh I know, wow. is when you uh, talked to us about voice care for transgender singers. Three years. And I wanted to celebrate with you... Um, uh, we we got to talk at Chicago last summer. I had the absolute pleasure. My full voice booth was directly beside the voice lab booth. And I had the most delightful time talking to your team. And what an amazing, inspiring, just funny group of people you have. I, I've i <laughs> never laughed so hard in my entire life. And I thoroughly enjoyed because, you know, being in an exhibit hall can be long and the day goes long and it people aren't there and you got nobody to talk to. I thoroughly enjoyed myself. Like, I'm going to demand that I am always beside the voice lab. <laughs> <laughs> But your te- your team was so delightful. Um, d- I want to I want to celebrate. So you started you started your business back in two thousand. I did my homework in two thousand fourteen, and you rented a church basement. And now you have an incredible company with a huge team offering incredible programs, both online and in person and teacher training. Like, can we, can we just talk about how long and amazing this journey has been? (laughs) Sure. Yeah. Um, I think going into it, I had visions of how all of this was going to go years down the line. Um, I don't know if you're a Clifton Strengths person, but futuristic is my number three. So the visionary stuff is like I do it in my sleep, can't help it. So starting in the church, the church basement was um, very much just like okay, let's get on our feet and let's proof of concept. And we outgrew our space at the church um, in terms of how many students we could we could have. Um, in a teaching day within within a year. Um, it was very, it was quick. Um, and our first retail location uh, was such a great, it was such a sweet deal. Um, we got all the build out paid for and the rent was pretty cheap. And like, it was very much like a um, the landlord in very much invested in our organization. And it left me kind of, uh, ill-equipped, sub-less equipped to deal with like actual commercial real estate negotiation, which came later. Um, After opening up that location, we outgrew that location before the two-year mark. And so we opened up a second location just like around the corner um, and then outgrew that location and then opened up this location that I'm in now. And, uh, and however, when pandemic hit, like we couldn't, you know, we couldn't teach in person or we, we, we couldn't, and then we chose not to, uh, in order to keep everyone safe. So now we're just back down to one location, which is great. Cause that allows us to kind of, um, pool resources in a different way. Um, and then also we started as a hybrid online in-person business, like from the jump. Um, so we've been teaching online for almost 10 years now. And um, so when the pandemic hit, for us, it was a pretty smooth uh, transition. Um, Logistically, I will say, uh, all of our 
minds and emotions. That was a tough year, I think for, I mean, everybody. Um, and so now, uh, with all of that, like we've, we've recognized that we don't have to limit our staff to being local to Chicago um, or even stationary. So uh, we have teachers now across, um, I think maybe seven or eight states um, and Canada. And it uh, affords us the opportunity, I think, to be even more clear about the kind of working environment that we want to cultivate um, and cultivating a working environment that is mostly online is a really different, a really different beast, I think. Um, so it feels really good. And I feel like we get closer every year to, um, well, let me, let me rephrase that. I think we have arrived at a place where the business is driven by our values and um, the way that we do that and the way that we implement systems around those values becomes more and more refined and nuanced and flexible to evolve as the company culture evolves too. So that's amazing. And I love it. I love working here. I mean, totally unbiased opinion. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you, you know, um, even just on your homepage of the of the Voice Lab website, it is obvious that you are as dedicated to creating a wonderful space for your employees, your team, as much as your as your students, your clients. And I think that speaks volumes because I think as private teachers, you know, that may if you're working for, you know, a conservatory or a or a teaching uh, organization that, that that's not often the case um how do you how do you work with such a large team that are so far away how do you do that mm. um big shout out to marissa del campo she's our education director um and she is um she manages the teachers basically. So um, she has created this network of mentorship between the teachers. She set up like a buddy system. So the teachers get paired with each other if they have complementary interests. Um, she meets with them every week. We all communicate via Voxer um, and having that like instant voice communication, game changer, game changer in terms of managing a remote team. Um, and she also puts together like opportunities for people to share. So we, we hang out once a month, um, we call it cool collab club and we like share ideas and like, what are you researching right now? Let's, let's talk through it. Um, and then we just did, uh, she put together our first internal conference, um, which is something that we've been like dreaming of doing for a few years. And it finally came together this spring and it was amazing. It was magical. So so managing a remote team, I think, is about like recognizing that we are remote and setting up those like um, water cooler type conversations I love that. through through the tech that we mm. use, basically. Mm -hmm. Oh goodness! Now you still have you still have teachers that are working in person in in at the Voice Lab in Chicago. Um, are they in, they are they are also included with these types of of water cooler? How does that work? Absolutely, with, with absolutely. 
I wouldn't think that you would exclude them, but how does that work? Do they, do they get, how does that work with the online people? It's pretty seamless, actually. Um, uh, the major difference between the, the teachers who teach online and the ones who are here in person. I mean, we only have two studio rooms in this location, so it's not like bustling. Um, but it has been very, very fun to return to the place of like sitting around the lobby and like eating lunch together and um talking about our educational trauma and like <laughs> jokes out of it. <laughs> so that has been really wonderful. Um, but in terms of inclusion on the team, I don't think that any, I don't think that any uh, remote versus in-person teacher would know uh, the difference, if that makes sense. Like aside from the folks who are in-person and we get to see each other at the same time, the idea is that the, the team experience is the same for everyone. Oh, this is such a huge teacher takeaway for any multi-teacher uh, studios because that that is something that I'm seeing in the news a lot, just in general workplaces, is the divide between people who are working remotely and the people who are coming in and the, the challenges of people trying to balance both. But it seems that you have... Uh, created uh, wonderful opportunities, and and you're you're bridging that 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 gap that that big corporations and small corporations are dealing with right now. That's that's commendable. Um, you're not only just offering um, speech lessons or voice lessons, but you have. Uh, I can't. There's just so many things going on. You have. Um, uh, open mic nights. You do like there was a songwriting course that came up in my feed. I follow you, so I get all Yay. of the voice, <laughs> and I'm always I'm always inspired by how much you're offering your community. You also have teacher trainings. Um, so, how as a as a corporation as a as a teaching studio, how do you organize all of these opportunities? Is that your staff? Do you have like this is more of a personal question. Do you have quarterly goals? Do you have a yearly meeting where you plan everything out? I need to know. Mm -hmm. Yes, all of the above. <laughs> um, um, let's see. So, yes, planning um, and uh, repetition. I think um, especially, again, navigating uh, online spaces the cogency of the marketing in terms of inviting people into events, group events, especially um, in my experience in this company comes from repetition and um, sort of knowing that the opportunity is there. Like we have open mic nights every month. Our community salon in person is every month. If you don't feel up for it this month, that's a okay. It's going to be there next month too. And we try to like integrate that into the lesson planning for the teacher. So it's like, it's macro, um, and then we also, um, one of my teachers, Seth, who is a, a whiz with spreadsheets, and I love it so much, and I'm so grateful for them. Um, we work together to put a spreadsheet together that has, um, uh, each teacher has their own like tab, and we did it per quarter. And like, these are the events that are coming up this quarter. Um, and then like, you list out all of your students and which events you think they might be interested in. And then it all then populates to calculate how many lessons you have until that event so that you can plan out the trajectory of the lessons in preparation for that. And it's brilliant. 
And I love it so much. Do you <laughs> do you ever loan out Seth? Like, is he for hire? That's that, that's brilliant. I love oh, this. this. Nikki, is... pause for a second. I'm gonna just come back. Seth, I didn't give pronouns for Seth. Seth needs to say them. Um, oh, okay. Thank you. Just because I know that's relevant in our course. I do, I do appreciate that. Um I uh, this is so great. I mean, if there's one thing as a as a starting out as a private teacher, just doing my own thing. I mean, when I transitioned from working at a studio where I was hired as a subcontractor to my own studio, and I know there's a lot of teachers out there that go through this, you're used to having the organization take care of all your stuff, your planning, your bills, and all of a sudden, and then all of a sudden, you are in response. I remember the first month I was teaching out of my own studio, I literally forgot to invoice people because I was used to somebody doing that. Your systems, and learning about systems, I think that's something that Michelle has helped me with and and talking to people like you, having those systems in place where you are automating or creating patterns or habitual things that happen, um, how was that, was that something that came naturally to you or did you get help in that? Like, did, how have you grown? Cause you're, it, you seem that all these systems are just really beautifully in place for the voice lab. Mm, thank you. Thank you. Um, it did not come naturally to me. Um, and I think part of the first, eh, four to five years of running the business has been um, practicing shedding uh, the ego bit. So walking into um, a business like this, having had, like I have worked at many other multi-teacher studios, um, have done like the private studio thing, uh, have done like academic work. And so coming into this business, I knew I wanted to do things differently, but I was not aware at the time of all of the unconscious competencies that I was bringing into the business. And so in starting to develop a team and, and bring in new folks, like all of those unconscious competencies became explicit because I had not yet thought to express them um, and to ask a team member to do to do the thing a certain way or like how to teach them to do it their own way, you know, however, however they want to approach it. So um, to be honest, I was reticent. I was resistant, like outright no to systems uh, when we first started. I was like, we don't need cancellation policies. Come on, like that's Come on. Um, as if we don't need payment policies, what people just they pay whatever because I had never run into an issue before, um, because of all of the things that I like didn't know that I knew, if that makes sense. Um, and so, um, yes, so systems historically for me have arisen from issues, uh, conflicts, and misunderstandings. So um, super productive, right? Just like human relations, super productive. And I think on the flip side of that, like having all of these systems now, like you were asking before, like how um, as a workplace uh, to function with, with such a diverse team in very diverse locations with very diverse life experiences, um, systems I think are the key. So the the communication is predictable and um, there's no question about 
um, what a teacher should do in a particular situation. And they're not clear on like who they should go to if they have a problem. So um, I'm so grateful for all of the folks who have challenged me over the years um, and who have um, insisted on having systems for making decisions and, and doing the work. And also I would say the transition from, we started off as independent contractor, um, like a, a legal and tax relationship. And then in 2021, we switched over to W2. Um, and that has made like, that was that was the linchpin. Like that was like, that was the key. And then the culture just like settled in. It's like, oh, oh, yes, this is how we want to work together. Oh, okay, now we got it. That's very interesting because I think that happens in a lot of places where as a subcontractor, you don't feel the onus to become part of the culture because you're really not part of the company. That's, mm. was that a hard decision for you? Was that a, like, like what was, what were some of the things you had, you obviously had to go to a lawyer Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. can you talk to about that switching over from the subcontractor relationship into uh, and now forgive me, Canadian US terms, W2 refers mm-hmm. to an employee. An employee versus okay. a contractor. All right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So for so go ahead. W2 is the tax form that the business sends to Got the employee you. at the Got end you. of the year. Um, after having withheld federal and state uh, tax and paying into unemployment insurance on behalf of the employee. So the process, um, one of the hardest decisions kind of going into it was, or uh, maybe the, one of the most challenging things to plan was cost. So I knew that uh, going from independent contractors to employees would increase the payroll burden of the company in a way that the employees would not feel, if that makes sense. So so it would cost the business more money, but the employees would not feel like they were making more money. Um, And so there was a lot of money, um, uh, uncertainty about how all of that was going to go. Michelle at the Speakeasy Cooperative um, very lovingly guided me through that whole process, I think, for probably about two years um, before it was really time to do the thing. And, um, so navigating payroll, we, we completely altered our compensation structure for the teachers as well. We were doing, um, like commission or piece rate where they were getting paid per lesson basically. And so now we have shifted to hourly. So that means that, um, if we, have decided that the teacher is open for lessons from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. They clock in for all of those hours, whether they have lessons in that time or not. Um, And they can like bank those hours for projects or meetings or events or something. So if they, if they come to the open mic night to watch their student perform, they get paid. Um, And so the whole, you know, that I think is another key piece of the culture and a key piece of the transition into an employer-employee relationship, um, that it's not, uh, that your contribution to the company as an employee is not in the deliverables, it's in your participation in the organization. Um, so that that was a huge piece of it. The lawyer piece of it also was very expensive. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. <laughs> but it was good, it was good. Um, and, and it was really hard. It was really hard. Um, 
can I can I cuss? Is that okay? <laughs> cuss away, friend. I mean, we'll have so, to bleep it out, but cussing is allowed. Fantastic. Um, so right at the end of 2020 and heading into 2021, some it's some fans. <laughs> and um, <laughs> um, and I had very hard conversations with some of the key members of the team at the time. Um, and it was through those conversations that it became clear that the culture that I wanted to create in a workplace was not happening and could not happen with that legal and tax relationship. Um, the things that those key team members wanted to see in their working environment, like legally, I could not do um, because they were contractors. Um, so, so what ended up happening is like a whole lot of math and a lot of number crunching and a lot of other really hard conversations. And we turned over 80% of the team that year. Um, it was, it was like a mess. Like it just, it showed me, I think that was another time when systems became really apparent and, and the need for systems was really apparent. That was rough. That was a rough, rough year. Um, but now on the other side of that, I mean, we have a brilliant, beautiful team and Marissa is like crushing it. She's doing such a good job. Um, and all of our processes are clear, which makes it easy for everyone to, to have good days and bad days at work and feel supported either mm. way. Is it easier now to onboard new teachers now that you have all of this? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is, I really, I really appreciate you. Um, I really appreciate the vulnerability in sharing that tough time because I think that I, I agree with you. It's those hard, it's when people aren't happy and when people have conversations and you've got to make really tough decisions, that's when we level up. That's when we, and it's easy to ignore it. It's easy to just go, no, 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 it's status quo. And, uh, uh, I'm really, that's very helpful. And I, and I want to thank you uh, for that. Um, uh, what would you say, what would you say to a teacher who is working somewhere and they're just that, that culture and how they're being treated isn't, isn't working for them? How would, how, what would you say to them? Oh, I love this question. I love this question. Um, I mean, I would ask them a bunch of questions. Um, I think at the crux of that is a misunderstanding sometimes about the labor market and what it is and their role within it and um, how much agency they have. So if it's an independent contractor situation, um, as an independent contractor, you are a business owner. And if you are entering into a contract between the business that you run and the business that someone else runs, um, and the contract is not suited to how you would like to value your work and or the scope of work has not been clear, then you as the business owner have a responsibility to get clear about the contract. So it's not, I think, too often, um, folks who are in that contractor position end up taking that kind of personally. Um, and it's, it's not personal. It's you have to run your business. And if the way you value, um, 
evaluate price your billable hour um, and how much you get paid for a lesson has to include all of the things that are involved in running your business in order to provide that deliverable. And if you have not yet done that work to like price out your billable hour, then you're going to get into a situation where you have agreed to something without really having done the math first. And it will feel personal. It will feel like you're personally being taken advantage of. Um, so that's for, for contractors. On the flip side, for employees, um, I love, I love talking about labor economics. Like economics is my jam and I love it. So like in the labor market, in the labor market, so the labor market is there like any any kind of market, the buyers and sellers, and what often gets confused as who is who. So in the labor market, the worker is the seller and the employer is the buyer, right? So the worker, um, so think of it like, Think of it like a farmer and a consumer and we're buying strawberries. So the farmer has a responsibility to know like how much they need to sell the strawberries for um, in order to continue making strawberries and continue making money so that they can support their life. The buyer um, needs to know what their budget is so they can figure out how much they can pay for strawberries and get the best strawberries that they can for the price that they can pay. So if we go back to labor, um, and I think, again, this kind of highlights the importance of, of hiring as employees in a multi-teacher studio, because many of the teachers who come into a multi-teacher studio to work are new in their career um, and are like in the strawberry analogy, like they're still kind of figuring out how all the soil works and how to navigate the seasons and like which pesticides to use or whatever. Um, and so their clarity on how to price their labor um, may not be fully developed yet. What happens is that the buyer, the employers um, in, in crappy situations take advantage of that um, and underprice um, or, or make their budget smaller than it actually is in order to try to get like cheap strawberries. Um, so what would I say? I would say, where are you in the labor market? That would be my question. I would say, how much math have you done in terms of money? that you need to make. Um, and I have worked with so many, um, so many contractors who like don't even know how much money they need to make. Um, and like, what's, what's your living budget? And like, what does it cost you to live? And what does it cost you to run your business if you're a contractor? And then go from there. Um, is what I would say. It's not personal. You have, it's, it's co-responsibility, right? You and the business who is hiring you are co-responsible for arriving at, um, what feels like, uh, a doable contract. Oh, Liz that. Okay. I just, I have to tell my listeners your face just lit up <laughs> and your like, she is like waving her arms and I can, <laughs> I can see the strawberries and I, that, and you gave me Honestly, you gave me goosebumps because I can see how oh. passionate you are about this. And to my listeners, if you're just getting started or if you are in a situation where you are not happy, I want you to rewind and listen mm. to that whole convert, that whole explanation one more time that Liz just said, because there is gold in there. And, you know, honestly, Liz, when I was young and just getting started, I didn't have a, any clue 
any clue whatsoever. I just, it was about how many students could I teach? How many nights a week? And I see this now. I see this now. I see the young singers or the young teachers and their new parents and they're not taking time off and they don't plan for any of this and it breaks my heart. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you so much. And and thank you for the work you're doing with your team. I mean, you are going to set a standard and other companies are going to go, no, no, we're going to do it like the voice lab. You're, you're changing lives. That's huge. That's huge. Thank you for that. I, I still have goosebumps from the strawberries. <laughs> um, uh, thank you for sharing that. That's going to you're you're going. There's going to be a teacher listening to this podcast that is going to be sitting down with a pen and a calculator and doing the work that needs to be done. Thank you for that. Now I am so excited. Um, and when you shared this with me, I really, it really made me excited. You have an upcoming um, live. Uh, workshop convention. I don't know. What would you call it? It's called Voice Pedagogy for the for Whole Humans. It's July 1st to the 3rd. And it's big. It, and it's different. It's unique. It's wonderful. And I, I want you to tell everybody about it because I think, I know there's a lot of offerings right now, a lot of courses, a lot of things for teachers, but this is beautiful. And I, I want you to tell people about it. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, so the concept um, has arisen from conversations with voice teachers over the years and in no part thanks to Shannon and her, Dr. Shannon Coates uh, and her, um, the way she talks about pedagogy as a concept. Um, and uh, I think over the years it has just become more and more apparent that many um, undergrad and graduate programs in voice performance and or voice pedagogy um, miss some opportunities to talk about education and learning and how to support a student um, in favor of sometimes like acoustics and biomechanics. Not that those aren't important, not that understanding how the instrument works isn't important, um, but if the skills to communicate that knowledge in a way that is impactful for the student um, are missing, then it, it really can only go so far. So, so we, won't, we won't be talking about acoustics or biomechanics. Um, we will be talking about human experiences. And um, I love getting to do workshops with um, like academic institutions and just seeing like adjunct teachers have this like, oh, like I didn't, Oh, <laughs> and, and I especially love the process when I'm inviting, um, um, like cisgender folks specifically into the conversation around gender. And there's that moment where they realize that like, they also have a gender and they also have a gender experience and the, the world around them responds to the way that they express gender. And that's kind of at the crux of it too. So, um, the idea of being a whole human um, in the, the beginning of the second day is a panel with uh, me, our teacher, Kaylee Morgan um, and Ariel, who's the executive assistant slash international DJ superstar. She's famous. Um, so we sat down together and was like, 
you know, just kind of prepping for the conversation, like, what is a, what does it mean to be a whole human? What does that mean? And where I'm at with it right now is that so many people in our industry, I think, seek out continuing education with the lens of how they're going to use it in the studio or how they're going to use it to support their students. And the conversations that we have are like, what do I need to know in order to cultivate a more inclusive environment um, for my students and all of that. So what I hope to create in this uh, event coming up is like the step before that. Um, What do you need? What do you need? Which parts of you do you need to be seen and validated? Which parts of you need care right now so that you can do the best work that that you can or, or you can do the work that you want to do? Um, I think sometimes the, the idea of um, ooh, like ignoring our own needs in service to others is like a narrative that gets propagated in the industry, um, which is predominantly, I think, I think maybe predominantly populated by femme folk um, who receive that message everywhere from our whole lives. Um, So the moment to pause and like, but who are you? And like, what do you need? What is it like to teach while being queer? What is it like to teach while being neurodivergent? What is it like to teach while having brown skin? Um, and, And, or a totally different approach to learning. So I'm hoping to just to just um, bring some people together and like get them to really think about uh, who they are and who they want to be in the world and in the world of teaching. And the whole the whole conference is kind of like structured around this. So usually when we think of voice conferences or like continuing it, it's like there's like five different things going on at the same time. And everyone is like rushing around everywhere. And there's this constant like, I wish we just had more time to just process this. And so we have like, there's scheduled time in the conference to process. So at the end of each day, there's this big old chunk of time and we'll have, we'll have rooms, different, different books for um, places for folks to go and online as well, where you just like go and like, what just happened? What, I love that. What? I have, I'm a whole human being. How, oh, what? How, how, <laughs> how wonderful. I mean, you know, we, I think we spoke of that at the convention, you know, there's just this, at the end of a convention, you are, you are done. You like, I, don't even remember getting home. I was so exhausted and I had learned so many things and I had met so many people and, and you just, you just don't really process all of it. And so much of it I know just is lost because it's just too much and you don't get that processing time. Oh, that is so wonderfully thoughtful and caring and healing. Just the, just the idea of being able to talk through it. In a, in a safe place. Oh, Liz. Um, if somebody's just learning how to, uh, how to be more gender affirming or perhaps how their studios could be more gender affirming or, and there, there's a lot of people trying to create safe spaces. Um, would this be a good place for them to start 
I think I think Absolutely. there's a I think there's a lot of fear and confusion and worry about asking the wrong questions. Mm, fair. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So for what would you say to somebody who's just like, I want to learn more, but I'm afraid of asking the wrong questions or offending people or not being in the right space? What would you say to them? There's a lot packed in there. It's the offending people that's like catching my attention. So when considering educational environments, there are narratives that have stuck around and there are um, iterations of the status quo that can be limiting for folks who don't fit into the status quo. So um, I think my first question would be, um, I mean, honestly, it's self-reflection, right? So the, the first question is like, who are, who are you? Um, what is your experience of gender? What is your experience of having a brain and a body that moves in the world? Um, and how does that impact the way you relate to other people? One of the exercises that we go through in, um, in the gender affirming piece of this, we use this visual model called the power flower. Um, and it's meant to, um, illuminate, uh, areas of intersection. So for example, part of your identity uh, might be related to gender or sexuality or religious affiliation or religious authority or um, uh, skin color or language um, or being multilingual and what your first language is. And all of those things kind of come together to create your worldview. And if your worldview resides predominantly in the dominant culture, specifically if you are a a white cisgender heterosexual male with some religious authority and or some uh, governmental authority, um, then like that changes the way you see things. Um, And so I think, I think the very, very first step to cultivating anything inclusive is making sure that you are aware of how and when you are included or excluded from different environments based on your own experiences and intersections of identity. From there, then it becomes easier to witness and observe people having different experiences from your own. And then to kind of create an environment that benefits those folks, knowing that when they benefit, you will also benefit. When we create environments that benefit the most marginalized, everyone benefits. Everyone benefits. Um, one of the ways that we're doing that in this conference specifically, is seems small but feels big, is um, seating. So the in, in most conferences, you're either in like the little plastic chairs like or you're in an auditorium um and i mean that significantly limits um the way that uh people can engage in the education and i think it perpetuates that narrative that like good learning air quotes is sitting still with your eyes focused forward and you're engaging and and nodding and doing the thing and and demonstrating that you understand um and that's not that's not how people work. <laughs> like it's just how people learn. So we so we'll have different kinds of seating. We're gonna have yoga mats. We'll have, like if you don't want to sit, that's fine. You can stand. We've got standing desks. Um there is no obligation to keep your eyes forward. We're gonna have fidget toys. 
like buckets of fidget toys. If you want to come and like do something with your hands while you're learning, because that helps you learn better. Like, please do the thing, right? We want to make the space yours so that you can deeply engage in the content. Um, so that was a very long answer to no, but it's, a question. <laughs> it's so, it's beautiful. And, and I think that that's helpful. I can't tell you how much I would delight at walking in a room that offered sitting on the floor, you know, or, or being able to get up and stand. Like, like as soon as I walk into a room, I just think, oh my gosh, my back is going to hurt in about 20 minutes. And that, and I just, yeah. Oh, that you are, these are beautiful, beautiful opportunities. Um, how can now before I before I let you go, you also have some online teacher training on your website, and and I I want just to, if you don't mind just giving everybody like a little overview because uh, this would be asynchronous learning. People can watch the videos at their at their uh, convenience, but you've got quite a few programs, and I would love for you to just outline them for people. Sure, absolutely. Um, so we have individually uh, the Gender 101 um, asynchronous course, which is beautiful. Um, that's something that Ariel and I did together. And that is fantastic if you were like at that very first um, that very first step of like, I've got my first trans student and I don't know what to do. Um, or um, I probably will have trans students sometime soon. How do I talk about gender? What even is gender and how does it relate to the voice? Um, so that's a perfect like um, uh, entry point into the conversation. And because it's self-guided, you can do it at whatever pace you want to. Um, so that's one. And then we have another one that's around student-centered teaching. This one's still, it's like we're finalizing the editing, so it will be out soon. Um, but that's about considering um, the priority in the room when you are in a student-teacher relationship. So is the priority right now to care for the student as an individual? Is the priority to serve the music? Is the priority to adhere to an industry standard? And is that industry standard priority taking precedence over the individual person to the point that they're being um, erased or uh, negated or muted? And if so, like, how can we switch that around? Um, so that's one course. Alexandra and Marissa are doing that one. Um, then we have One Weird Trick, uh, which is based off of my book, One Weird Trick, Uses Guide to Transgender Voice, specifically focused in the online course toward voice feminization or um, creating and maintaining new vocal habits around speech that might lead to a more femme-presenting or femme-perceived um, series of speech habits. And it's delightful. And honestly, I suggest that teachers also do that course. Like it's not just for students. Um, and then we have a bundle that puts gender 101 and one weird trick together, which is so good. <laughs> so good. Like take advantage of that. <laughs> it's perfect. Um, and uh, twice a year, we have our eight week gender affirming voice class course as well, which is live. And you can watch it on the replay as well. We have a lot of folks internationally who like, send me emails at like three in the morning. Like, Oh my God, I have a question. I love it. I love it. I love it. Oh, Liz, I can't thank you enough. And, uh, you know, 
I three years is way too long. We are not going to wait another three years to have another wonderful conversation. I'm going to have you back. Your work is profoundly your work is profound and so healing and helpful. And and for teachers listening, I am going to put all the links you need. I'm going to direct people to the Voice Lab website and to the sign up for the voice pedagogy for whole humans. Um, and actually on that platform, you can find the other courses as well. So they're all in one beautiful organized uh, page. So you can find everything. Um, Liz, I want to thank you. And I want you to um, send hugs to your team because, uh, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, I really enjoyed talking to them and laughing with them. And I know that uh, they're doing great work and the Voice Lab is doing great work. Um, any, any Any last thoughts that you'd like to share about the 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 upcoming um uh event uh in July any last little words of inspiration you'd like to share you deserve to learn in a way that soothes your heart and sparks your mind wow okay now I'm gonna cry Oh no. <laughs> that's beautiful. You that's just beautiful. Oh, Liz, thank you. I cannot thank you enough for being a guest again mm-hmm. and um for your work and uh we will talk to you soon. Awesome. Thank you so much, Nikki. I appreciate the time. A very special thank you to Liz for that incredibly powerful conversation. As promised, I am going to put all of the links mentioned in the show notes and you can visit her website as well as sign up for the Pedagogy for Whole Humans event. I cannot recommend it enough. Such an amazing experience and offering for voice professionals. So please take advantage of that. My friend, as always, I want to thank you for pressing play, for tuning in, and I'm wishing you inspired teaching and happy singing.